0: There's no such thing as a stressful situation. There's no such thing as a stressful environment.
1: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jason Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. The guest that I have for today is going to talk about something that we feel like it's a necessity in the workplace, but we're going to challenge if that's really the case. We're talking about working under hard pressure, talking about stress, talking about how do we show up consistently in the workplace without sabotaging ourselves. And the clue here is that there's going to be a lot of things we're going to talk about that you can do on the job and other things that you can do off the job that really makes it so that you can be the best version of yourself, you can thrive in the workplace and really you don't cause any damage or sabotage to yourself. And the person that we have today to share all these amazing thoughts is none other than Michael Neal. Now Michael is a featured teacher on our Evercoach platform by Mindvalley. Yet get this. As an international coach, speaker, best-selling author, and CEO, he has spoken in front of thousands and had his talks watched by millions. He is the host of the Caffeine for the Soul podcast, has spoken on TEDx stages, and he is always listed consistently in the top 30 coaches in the world by Global Guru. Now, this man, I love his style where he injects humor, amazing insights, and really is able to deliver transformation for the people. And you're going to get a taste of his work on this podcast today. So it is with my great pleasure that I bring Michael Neal, author of several books, including Inside Out Revolution, here on the show. Michael, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I always hear my bio and think I'm going to be taller, but it never
0: works.
1: (laughs) Isn't it fun to be reflected on a perspective outside of yourself when someone reads your bio? I find that's a great statement because I have the same feeling. And then you kind of stop and go, wow. And I feel like a lot of people might not always get the opportunity to get that perspective. Well, yeah. I mean, I make the team write the bio because if I wrote my bio,
0: it would say, Michael Nelson, guy, he probably can help you if you want to talk to him. (laughs) <laughs>
1: Most likely, it seems more confident when it comes from a third party. Pers- it does sound a little better, I know. <laughs> but I did want to actually throw the mic back at you, Michael, because I feel like I just touched the surface. I also would love to kind of know a bit more about your journey. Like you've been doing amazing. I personally know more from your program impacting leaders that you have with Evercoach. You have star reviews. People really love the work that you do. And I think you've been doing this for over twenty years, twenty-five years, so thirty.
0: 30. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It's hard to believe, but no, I know I
1: have. I started teaching and coaching in 1990. So, mm. yeah. and so, tell us more about the journey. What have you noticed in the field of coaching, and particularly, I know you do a lot of work with executive coaching over these 30 years. Like, what are some of the trends you've noticed, and are they good?
0: Well, look, if you look for good trends, you can find good trends. If you look for bad trends, you can find bad trends. So, I'm not a big believer that. It matters what the industry is doing in that sense. I mean, yes, it's worth paying attention to. It's worth knowing. But one of the things that I really work with people on is finding an inner sense of direction as opposed to simply responding to what you think is going to work. And when you kind of find the marriage of those two, where you're aware enough of what's going on that you actually notice what's working, but it's not driving what you do, You become one of the leaders. You become one of the innovators. You become the people that everybody else tries to copy. And once you get over that, I mean, I've been copied to the point where there was a guy in Australia at one point who put up my website with his name and pictures on it. Word for word, you know, took my career. The only reason that I really actually took offense, because in some ways I was flattered and amused, but I slightly took offense because he also included my children in his bio. I was like, wow, okay. Now, most people aren't that direct, but there's this mindset in business about don't reinvent the wheel. And honestly, in most cases, I think reinventing the wheel is one of the best things we can learn to do.
1: Oh, I find that fascinating. And I think we're going on a direction here that I'm quite curious about because I think I might be one of those people that would usually be the drum on don't reinvent the wheel. And yet, what you just mentioned, the fact that when you start just looking externally to try to find direction and then you go that, there's always something that feels disconnected. Yeah. And that's it. That's the thing. Like if you're doing a purely mechanical process.
0: So I, I had a coach once who said, if I throw a brick through the window, the window breaks. So if you want the window to break, you just need to throw the same brick through the same, you know, and if we were dealing with bricks and windows, not a bad analogy. But I also had a high school physics teacher who said, look, if you kick a football, and I know the airspeed and the altitude and the leg speed, I can tell you within a millimeter where that football will land. But if you kick my dog, there's no telling where he's going to end up. (laughs) And that's the problem with that copycat analogy is we're dealing with humans, Humans don't work like machines, at least at their best, they don't. Humans who work like machines are humans who are stuck in their conditioned self. They're stuck on automatic. They're stuck in their habits. You don't want to work with machines, unless you're actually literally working with machines, in which case it's fine. You want to work with living, breathing humans because we are so much more creative. We are capable of of non-Newtonian shifts. We don't do straight cause effect where you have to do three of this to get three of that. Humans can do one of this and get seven of that, or they could do seven of this and only get one of that. i realize realized my hand gestures are wrong for the numbers, but I don't have seven figures on one hand. So
1: we'll just go with it. For those on the podcast are going to be okay. For those on the YouTube, we have to apologize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we apologize for the lack of figures on Michael's left hand.
1: But Michael, I feel this leads it to something else that's very related, right? At least that's how it feels is that as a leader within an organization, it's almost like I feel like the way to make the company more productive is to make everybody follow the exact process in the exact same way. And oftentimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to design a process. It's going to work exactly like this. I'm going to manufacture a ton of bricks and a ton of windows that look the same so I can keep throwing. And at least it seems like if I can get people to follow my exact order, it'll be what makes it the most effective. And this is where I think these ideas of like, you know, pushing your people to work more and to get excited about doing the same process, work long hours, repeat the process. And, and this is the road on how it grows. What happens when you're an employee and you're actually being put into this system where you are being told to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and without any room to reinvent the wheel, I sort of say.
0: Well, you perpetuate the myth that work is something you have to put up with to do what you really wanna do. You start finding shortcuts and kind of skiving wherever you can off the job to do the absolute minimum that you have to do to not get fired. You start having more sick days and finding more reasons to not put in a full day of work. And eventually you leave to go repeat the process somewhere else and get replaced by someone else who's gonna hate their job. It works, I guess, but it's lowest common denominator leadership. It's based on the idea that there's always going to be more than enough people who need my money. So I'll just churn them through my system. And if, you know, if that one goes, I'll just plug the next one in. Now, there are some businesses in some places where you can get away with that. But honestly, and I, I'm not trying to get political, but that's what leads to prison labor. That's what leads to systems where you just have to churn bodies through the system because you're not getting any creativity out of people. So if I go back to my productivity analogy, my seven to one or one to seven, we all know diminishing returns. Like we all know that point you get to where you're getting almost nothing out of your efforts because you've just pushed yourself too far. You've been pushed too far. But most people are less aware that the exact same thing happens in reverse. When you show up to work in a flow state, when you show up to work genuinely engaged, on purpose, excited about what you're doing, you get returns that are totally out of whack in a positive way. You get more juice to every squeeze of the fruit. And so you don't have to squeeze a fruit till it's dead because you're getting so much from each squeeze. That's what is the sort of new wave. And as businesses have to get more from less, which right now almost every business has to get more from less, the easiest way to do that is to take advantage of the people who are actually working
1: for you. And so when I hear this, it looks like we're trying to challenge these ideas of just applying more stress and just putting more demand on the employees is what's gonna squeeze the lemon more. How does that look like if I'm wanting to, if I'm currently in a high stress environment? Let's say I have to work so many hours and it seems like I have very little autonomy in the process. How do I become kind of aware of a better way? And is it the responsibility of the leadership, or are there things we can do as an individual? Well, both. I mean, obviously,
0: if the leadership gets involved, and that's the level where I normally come in, it's just going to work better because the leadership cares already. As an employee. I mean, do I care? It depends. So if I just want to get more out of my own time at work, then yeah, it's really good to know that there's no such thing as a high-stress environment. A high-stress environment is where everybody is in the habit of stressing themselves out, using the circumstances almost against themselves until they're rung dry in pursuit of a higher level of productivity or a faster turnover or whatever the goals are for my bonus or you know camaraderie or whatever whatever game they've set up that i find myself in but stress the way people talk about stress they talk about it like a virus like you can catch it like certain environments oh you don't want to go there you'll get stress but i don't know about you but like i've been outdoors in beautiful environments with people who are stressed to the gills cuz bugs and all this and i've been in environments like newspapers Where theoretically, that's a really high stress environment because you've got to produce content every single day. You've got to, like when the newspaper goes out, it goes out, who literally do not find it stressful at all. They have more energy at the end of the day than at the beginning of the day. Yet most people would go, oh, well, being out in nature, that's a low stress environment. Being at the newspaper office, that's a high stress environment. But it really isn't. And then we have to start looking at, well, where does stress actually come from? If it's not a product of our environment, where does it come from? And if it's not a product of our environment and I'm in charge, what do I do with the
1: environment? And so if I realize that I can be in a stressful situation regardless of the environment, obviously some seem more prone than others, but still there's a huge part that plays within what's going on in my own head and what's happening between my two ears, right?
0: Even the idea, and I'm sorry to be a jerk about it, but I'm going to be, just because it's so counter Like when I called my first book, The Inside Out Revolution, it was because it really is revolutionary. It's not like a, oh, that's an interesting, different way of seeing things. There's no such thing as a stressful situation. There's no such thing as a stressful environment. Anytime my head gets filled with thought, I will feel stress. Anytime my brain is going faster than life, I will experience stress. Anytime I am creating negative future scenarios and trying to manage them in my head, I will experience stress. And I can do that sitting on a park bench on a quiet sunny day with birds chirping in the background that I will never hear. Or I can do that at work where everyone understands why I'm so stressed, but I'm doing it the same way.
1: It's really interesting because it seems like we choose it because it makes us feel like we're being more productive. We're being more caring you could say about the potential negative external consequences like I can just think about okay I have a talk to prepare and I think for those who have fear of public speaking which would be the majority of the people when there's an opportunity to have a talk come there's some people that will stress themselves out for the entire week leading up to that talk because of these, these stressful thoughts, but yet we'll justify it thinking like it's because I care. I want to make sure I'm prepared. So I'm always thinking about it and hoping that it's going to help me prepare better or be better. Or if there's a deadline at work and you're stressing about it, I feel like this is going to make me accomplish more. Or if I use an example at the time of this recording, which is with the COVID going on, you know, Oh, I'm always thinking I need to check the stats. I need to check the news. I need to be informed. And we're causing ourselves stress by consuming more information. And then like, Keeping that information in our head and keep processing. And there's almost a part of us that feels like, oh, that's being constructive. I'm keeping myself informed. I'm keeping it in front of mind so I can be more prepared. Yet I have a feeling that you might counter that theory quite strongly. Well, okay.
0: So there's an old joke about a guy standing in the middle of Trafalgar Square in London swinging a zebra by its tail. I don't know how he got the zebra, but he's swinging a zebra by its tail. So the police come and go, you know, what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm keeping away the tigers. And they go, there are no tigers in London. And he goes, see, it's working. (sighs) (laughs) Right? That's the problem with using that kind of logic Threat is you're equating something that actually has nothing to do with what's going on, but it's happening simultaneously. So the common expression is something about causality and causation. You know, umbrellas don't create rain, and fire trucks don't cause fires, but you often see them in the same place at the same time. And so...
1: If I'm going to be approaching stress, which might not even exist, like if I'm feeling I'm in a stressful environment, I feel like the bosses are putting pressure on me, I feel like I need to always keep up. What can I do to get back on top of water and not feel like I have this pressure on me all the time? Is it just an internal thing? Is it a communication? Like what are methods I could use here? So
0: this is the first piece of good news that sounds like bad news. (laughs) You can't actually really do anything because once you're in a world where you think really can happen to you, there's not a lot you can do but defend yourself against it. So the shift that fundamentally shifts everything is when you see the truth of where stress comes from, in fact, all experience comes from, then it automatically shifts. So that's why I say it's good news because it means actually you don't have to do anything. But it sounds like bad news because there's nothing you can do to force the shift. Once you start to see it, it's like one of the analogies that I'll sometimes use with the client, you know, especially if I've got somebody who's a worrier, somebody who's, who's always anxious, is I'll say, if I was complaining to you that my leg was hurting, and you notice that I kept stabbing myself with a fork right where I say it's hurting, you would probably be pretty sure that that fork had something to do with why my leg hurt. But if I don't understand that, that that's why my leg is hurting, I think my leg's hurting because... There's not enough sunlight where I am. I think my leg's hurting because when I was a kid, I didn't get enough love. I think my leg's hurting because I hate my job. And you say, what do I do about my stress? Well, if I think it's my job, I'll look to change my job. If I think it's my childhood, I'll look to come to terms with my childhood. If I think it's my boss, I'll try and change or learn how to work with my boss differently. If I see that it's me stabbing myself with a fork, I'll just stop. I don't need to practice. I don't need 30 days to recondition myself. The second I see that I'm causing my own stress, I'm done.
1: But sometimes getting to the point where you really see that can take a little while. I was going to say, like, I feel like, yeah, I see this. In my rational interviewing sense of awareness and rationality, I feel enlightened. I feel like, yes, this is the way. Yet, we get Wouldn't it be awesome if that actually <laughs> helped? It doesn't, but I, when, I love that you do but, that. <laughs> it's, it's like when you're in the moment, we feel blind. Now, I know you say there's nothing we can do in the moment, but should we be catching ourselves? Should we have an awareness of it? Like, What can we do when we're in that space where we're not so rational?
0: Here's the thing. There's nothing to do, but there's always somewhere to look. So if you look outside you for the cause, you're screwed. Before you start, because the best you can do is try to cope better, because most of us don't control our environments to that degree. If you look inside the mind for the cause, you will find it because that's where it comes from. Now, initially, that idea is sufficiently kind of either way out there for some people, or they think they know what I mean, and they go, oh, yeah, affirmations. Oh, yeah, I meditate. Oh, yeah, I'll do hypnosis. But let me give you an example. A CEO came to me because he was about to sell his company for a loss because he was so burned out that he just, he didn't want to be there anymore. And this was a company he'd built. It was a family owned business, 50 employees. I don't remember the turnover, but a decent sized turnover, national company. And he just had had it and his wife was familiar with my work. And so she sort of, before you do this, go see this guy. So he comes out and he is, I mean, he looks harried and we talk and he starts to settle down because when you start talking about what's true beyond your personal situation, what's just true about human beings, people do settle down. It's only when it gets personal that we get really riled up. So he began to settle down. And then I began pointing him to the nature of thought, that we live in a thought created experience. But Because of the way our senses work, it feels like, no, this is happening to me. In the same way as when you go to a movie, if you get caught up in the movie, you feel like you really were just kidnapped or being threatened by monsters or anything like that. It's the same thing. We feel it in our bodies, but it's actually being projected out from the mind and then bounced back in consciousness, in our own awareness. And so we sort of talking about these things. I just kept encouraging him to kind of look for himself beyond what he knew you know, beyond the, well, no, 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 I mean, this is is this. And the funny thing is, because it's true, when people look, they start to see it. And he calmed down. Now, most people do, but he got it quick. Like he really, and I do find often that people who are really in it, in a funny way, see it most quickly because it's real for them. It's not theoretical. And by the end of two days, I usually spend three days with an executive when I start with them. The end of the second day, he was so chilled. That i actually was worried about what his wife would say so i asked him look would you bring her in on day three so i can talk to her because if you just go home like this she's gonna i don't know what she's gonna make up but i just could see oh my god that would be so disastrous because it was so opposite to how he'd come and i thought she'd be thrilled and she for an hour grilled him she was like well are you going to take xanax on the flight home and he was like, well, the way I feel right now, I don't think I'm going to need to, but I've got Xanax, so I guess if I need to, I will. And well, are you still going to sell the company? Well, not for that price, but if they come back with an offer above this, yeah, because actually I think I would like to try something new. And if it's in this range, we'll take some time, we'll figure it out, we'll talk to the employees. And he was so freaking sane, it was scary, because he really saw it. And of course, all of the skills that had made him a great CEO had never gone anywhere, They'd just gotten buried under all the thinking and all the stress. And it took almost an hour for his wife to kind of get. It wasn't something he'd learned that he was practicing on her. He'd really seen something different. He was experiencing life differently. If you no longer are taking poison, you no longer need the antidote. So if you're no longer stressing yourself out twenty four seven, you no longer need all the coping mechanisms you've developed to deal with the stress. And he did. He reached out to me about three months later and he wound up selling the company for, and I'm going to get the number wrong, but instead of a $6 million loss, it was like a $17 million profit. And all that changed was he saw that he was the one creating his own stress and stopped doing it.
1: Wow. I would consider myself a pretty chill person as well, but I've been in situations where the stress goes really high and I feel like I was blind in these moments. Yet I can always look back and go, oh yeah, I, I created that. Oh yeah. Is a tool to kind of look at your past hindsight stress experiences a way to get you to be more aware so you can catch yourself quicker? Or is there more effective ways if I'm listening to this? and Because like, I feel like I, every time I get into a stress state, it, it's it's almost like I need to nurture a muscle where I'm like, oh, hello, I just created all this. I need to be like, wow, this is fascinating. This is the tool I use. I was going like, oh, this is fascinating. Look at me. I'm all stressed out. Why am I doing this? My experience
0: is that the human design is way better than that, right? We're already built to notice what doesn't work. And we notice it in our feelings. We feel off. We feel stressed. We feel pressure. Now, the problem is we've gotten so used to those feelings that we don't think they're telling us anything, or we think they're telling us something about our environment. If we start to see the check engine light is telling us about our engine, not the traffic on the highway, not what's going on in somebody else's car, it's just telling us what's going on in our own car, then we can respond to it directly. So the second somebody really sees, you know, not, yes, that makes a lot of sense, but really sees, and everyone does eventually because it's true. Like if you look long enough in a direction, you'll see what is actually in that direction. And you start to just notice, oh, and then when you start to feel off, it feels off. It doesn't feel, oh, business as usual, stress to the gills, uh, I can't wait to get home and drink, meditate, shag, whatever I do, you know, to cope. Then you step back sooner. You kind of go, wow, okay, I am something about the thinking I'm in is not working for me. Let me go back to zero. Let me start again. Let me take a fresh look at what's going on here. As opposed to like my wife does this thing and you know, we've been together 32 years. So she's been doing it for a long time where she'll taste a bit of food and she'll go, Oh, I think that's off. Try it. And I'm like, I don't want to try it. No, 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 try it. And it's like, no, if I trust your sense, if it's off, it's off. Right. Now, the problem is we do that with our own stress. We want to share it with other people. We want to go, Hey, my God, isn't this awful? And we don't just stop chewing on it.
1: That explains why when we're in a stress situation, we seem to have the urge to confirm it by getting everybody else as stressed as yourself. And then it makes you cope with it, deal with it, or at least normalize it as you say.
0: Yeah. And you don't want to normalize stress. You don't want to normalize pressure because they work against you. They're what limit how much juice comes out of every squeeze because you're already squeezed dry before
1: you go to work. And so the moment you take away this, you've taken away almost like half of the work that goes on in your head that tires you, that takes away your energy, that makes you show up as not your full self. And then you're going to do the minimum work. And you know it's so true the way that a lot of people, when we're under that level of stress and thinking this is the normal, will end up thinking, oh, it's the problem with this workplace and then you leave. And if you're in the leadership team, you're wondering why your talent's leaving and seeing that, oh, wow, they're, they're leaving, but this is just normal. Like there's actually something great that can happen. If you're actually starting to acknowledge all this, you're starting to get people to have an understanding that it doesn't need to be that way. They can actually start thriving. They can start contributing. You don't need to treat them like robots anymore because when you give them the human aspect, they get to do more things. And therefore, they get engaged, they get involved,
0: they start bringing creativity to it instead of using their creativity to figure out how to get out of it. Let me give you an example of where I came from with this, because I came from the opposite end. I once told a coach, I don't think I'm proud of this, but I once told a coach that what I wanted from him was for him to nail my testicles to the wall until I finished my project that I was working on. Like, Because in my mind, like I really took on the idea that the most successful people were the ones who could handle the most stress and pressure. I actually had a sign over my desk in my office. It was, I think, a Jim Rohn quote. Don't wish it was easier. Wish you were tougher. And so that was the mentality that I was in. And I was running a, a school I was working with clients all over the world, flying around, because you used to be able to do that. I don't know if you remember that, kids. I was filming a television pilot for a show based on my book, Super Coach. And I was seeing coaches and mentors to try and help me cope with the crazy life that I was living to kind of balance it out. And so one morning I was due to fly out. We were in the middle of filming, but I booked out two days to fly up to see one of my mentors. And I came downstairs that morning and my wife said, what happened to your face? I was like, "What do you mean?" And she said, "Look in the mirror." And I looked in the mirror, and half of my face was like down here; it was drooping. Like half of my face looked normal, and half of my face looked like a Salvador Dali painting. And I was like, "Shit!" And she said, "Well, you're going to go to the hospital." I said, "I don't have time to go to the hospital. I, I've only got two days with this guy. I've got a flight. If it's still like this in two days, I'll, I'll maybe book in something." And I took the dogs for a walk before going off to the airport, and I was I was a little worried because I was worried that they wouldn't be able to film me if my face looked like that. And so my head didn't think anything was wrong. I just thought, well, they could film me from the right. And then I like went further and I solved the problems in my head because it was like, well, do you know what? I've always, you know, I hosted a radio show for 15 years. I thought I've always loved radio. So if I can't, if they can't film me and make me look normal and my voice sounds fine, I'll, I'll keep doing radio. And it was like, at no point did it register that maybe this was a subtle clue that I was overstressed fly up to see the guy who I was working with, walk into his office. He goes, what happened to your face? I said, oh, I don't know. I woke up this way. Anyways, here's my work stuff and blah, 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 blah. And he, after about five minutes said, could you do me a favor? And I said, sure. And he said, could you let me take you to the hospital? Because I can't look at you. And I'm pissed off at him. Because I'm like, you're wasting my time. I've spent a lot of money to come out here. I've got a lot to do. I've got all this stuff. But fine. It's not till I get to the hospital and they take one look at me and rush me through that it occurs to me that maybe there's actually something wrong. That's how in my head I was. Like it literally never crossed my mind. Now it turned out not to be a stroke, which is what everyone had assumed it was. It turned out to be something called Bell's palsy, which is exacerbated by stress. And because they caught it early, it was fine. Within a few days of medication, I I was back. But it did wake me up. It did wake me up to the fact that there was something fundamentally wrong with the way I was looking at things. And that was when I began to look. That was when I kind of went, this can't be the best there is. It can't be a choice between being a you know, a monk sitting in meditation somewhere or a successful business person or somebody who's kind of getting the worst of both worlds and a little bit of the best of both worlds. There's got to be something else. And that was what set me out looking. And that's, in a way, I was actually probably more surprised than anybody when I found out, oh, Actually, there is a different way of being in the world that lets you be highly productive and super chill and actually highly
1: productive because you're super chill. I think that's a state that we need a lot more people to be in because I feel like you end up actually solving the right problems when you take a moment to actually see what needs to be worked on. (laughs) Well, and everybody knows that instinctively.
0: That's where cliches like count to 10 if you get angry before you do anything or don't hit send. Just leave it in drafts till the next morning. Like all of those things are because we instinctively know that we become idiots when we're highly stressed and up in our heads. It's just we don't go the rest of the way to figure out, well, what's really going on here? What's really going on actually isn't so bad. It's just your thinking kind of took over and ran away with you and you didn't notice. And you started thinking it must be something else. Well, let me look around. Oh, it must be that guy because he's always there when I'm feeling this way. must be this job because this is always here when I'm feeling this way. It must be fill in your favorite blank. We've all got our favorite thing that we blame our stress on. It's just never true.
1: Michael, this has been a powerful episode and a wake-up call, I'm sure, for so many people that are listening here. And for those of you who have been with us this whole journey know that we looked at stress and we looked at this pressure this innate design within inherited within the industrial revolution where we were trying to squeeze the most from every single employee within the supply chain just doing simple work manual work and it was like more hammer swings means more things get produced yet in the world today things have changed so much we're now in a place where we need to be creative we need to actually bring strategy we need to bring our best selves in the thinking economy and if we're just trying to get more pressure put in more hours and being more stressed you might end up squeezing that lemon more but then you'll hit burnouts we see stress levels depression levels especially in the western world in america at record levels and so what we wanted to discuss today is just understanding that all the stress and all this pressure we usually look outside to blame what has been causing this to us when there's a lot to be looking at how we're causing this to ourselves. Michael laid out the fact that most of this is not real. Actually, all of it is not real. And as we sit here and you're listening to this podcast, you might be able to witness those times where you cause yourself stress because you're trying to think faster than how life is actually happening to you. And so be aware that when you are in these stressful situations, you're not being more productive. We actually find ourselves acting less strategic, less creative, and you're not going to be able to provide to the organization the most amount of impact in the process. I love the examples where it was shared that when you're actually not showing up as your full self in the workplace, you're using your creativities to find ways to work less and get out of the workplace. And so if you're sitting on the executive team, know that trying to layer on more stress on the whole team is not going to allow them to thrive, flourish, produce and actually contribute to the mission and the vision of the organization, you're going to be actually draining out the life force within the organization. And so be aware of that, that we know of the tools like meditation, mindfulness, they're all great. But once you have that realization, all the stress is created by the stories from not the camera that we see the world in, but the projector that creates the world in front of us based on our own belief as Michael shares in his literature, you're going to be able to realize that there's so much more you can do. There is a better way. And once you start getting a lot more awareness around these feelings, you'll be able to step out and do the best that you can. And I think if you're listening to things here on Mind Valley and you go and pick up the inside out revolution, you'll be able to go so much deeper in the process and realize that there's a lot of joy that can come from every environment that you choose if you choose to bring that joy yourself. Michael, this was an amazing episode. Thank you so much for coming here and sharing with us. You're very welcome. If you don't mind my saying so, that was an awesome summary. Well, well done. Thank you. (laughs) And for everybody listening here, thank you so much for tuning in. Definitely check out the Inside Out Revolution, Michael Neal. And if you are a coach yourself, definitely go to EverCoach and look into Impacting Leader, a beautiful program we've created with Michael that allows you to take these methods and help so many more people on the planet that are looking to find themselves, make more impact without necessarily any of that stress. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work a Mind Valley podcast